0: you're listening to atomic moms i'm ellie Noss, and each week we celebrate and commiserate with world-class experts best-selling authors and parents around the world don't forget to rate review and subscribe on your favorite podcast app a current new york times bestseller and reese witherspoon's hello sunshine book club pick fair play by eve rodsky tackles the question how can we share domestic responsibilities in a fair and systematic way so that mothers can reclaim their lives from the thankless time suck of invisible labor? I don't know about your household moms, but in ours, too much is falling through the cracks from forgotten school forms to cherished relationships with friends. You guys, our life has become just work and school drop-offs and pickups and birthday parties, and that's it. Our old friends like still haven't met our two-year-old daughter, Eliza. It's like she's still our imaginary baby. So in this episode, our guest, Eve Rodsky, will help us cut through the crap and figure out a fair approach to managing our domestic lives. My husband, Adam, and I have just started implementing this system and our marriage is stronger for it. Also, I've listened to some of Eve's other conversations, and there's a good chance that the language will not be suitable for young ears. So heads up on that. Eve received her BA from the University of Michigan and her JD from Harvard Law School, just like Al Woods. After working in foundation management at J.P. Morgan, she founded the Philanthropy Advisory Group to advise families and charitable foundations on best practices. Eve was raised by a single mom in New York City and now lives in Los Angeles with her husband and their three children. For her first book, Fair Play, Eve interviewed more than 500 couples from all walks of life to figure out what the invisible work in a family actually is and how to get it done efficiently. Eve, thank you so much for coming on Atomic Moms.
1: That was the most beautiful introduction. You almost had me tearing up. (laughs) Thank you so much. And you're right. Sometimes my language is not for young ears even though I have three young children.
0: I want to set the scene for our audience. (laughs) Eve, will you tell our listeners, you know, what are you looking at right now while we have this conversation?
1: (laughs) Well, I I came out of uh, the NPR studio, so I'm looking at a nice, uh, beautiful construction uh, hole in the middle of Los Angeles with uh, three different construction workers holding up slow signs. But I'm really excited to be here, and hopefully the audio sounds good, even though I was battling some construction this morning.
0: It's going to sound as good as the NPR studios, I am sure. (laughs) And I felt the need to share that because it always makes me feel better. Like, there's something soothing to me about knowing that other mothers are also in the chaos. Of course. Even though your book has debuted on, like, the New York Times bestseller list, you are still, you know, you still got to make it work. There's still a scramble.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> There's, of course, a scramble. And I'm sitting, yeah, absolutely. This, I, I end up, you'll see in the book a lot. I just, I talk a lot about sitting on the side of the road in my car. It's a, it becomes a theme, maybe.
0: Oh, yeah, that's where I get most of my emails done. I For the first two years of Eliza's life, I had a little footnote on my email that said, like, sent from the car while baby napping. <laughs> It's like the only way to get things done. I love
1: that. I love
0: that. Let's talk Oprah. I really loved how in your book, Fair Play, you mention how Oprah speaks a lot about setting an intention. And I saw her give a talk. It was one of her Super Soul Sunday events, her soul session events. And she shared that whenever she does an interview with a guest, she always asks them to set their intention. So, Eve, taking, you know, a page out of Oprah's book, what's your intention in sharing fair play?
1: I love that. And I, I love anything that starts with intention. My intention with sharing fair play is to tell all of your listeners that all time is created equal. We will get there and we'll unpack what that means. But if there's one intention out of today, it's understanding that women's time is as valuable as men's time. And we'll talk, like I guess I will unpack that, but that is always my intention when I come in to talk um,
0: to listeners. so in working with over five hundred couples in research for this project, what did you observe as the major pain points in any household, regardless of economic status?
1: So in the five hundred interviews regardless that mirrored the u s census in terms of socioeconomic status and ethnicity, I found that the biggest problems were ironically the smallest details. I had a man in White Plains, New York, telling me he's locked out of his home because he forgot to bring home a glue stick. I have a woman, a COO of a publicly traded company. I like to ask vague questions because I always feel like I get good answers. I asked her what's her biggest challenge in her life. She told me it was getting her husband to remember to take out the kitty litter, not running her publicly traded company. and so. you'll see in the book, I talk about my breakdown point where I end up sobbing over off-season blueberries. And what I realize is that it's not about blue sticks or reminding your partner to take out the kitty litter or even off-season blueberries, which we can talk about how I got there. It is about perceived unfairness, perceived unfairness that leads to resentment and what happens when we communicate from that place As as opposed to a place that is intentional, that is values-based, that is expectation-based. And that's ultimately the biggest problem. We get stuck in the small details.
0: So let's talk about the blueberries, because I know, because I've read your book, but (laughs) (laughs) what made you break down on the side of the road over blueberries?
1: (laughs) Yes, it's... It was one of my finer moments, but um, I tell a story in the book about, and thank God my husband, Seth, sent me this text because it really it's inspired this book. So what if he didn't send me that text? <laughs> but what happened was um, I found myself sobbing on the side of the road from a text my husband sent me right after my second son, Ben, was born. And the text just said, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. You can picture the scene. I am sobbing on the side of the road. I pull over. I have a breast pump and a diaper bag in my passenger seat. I have returns for a newborn in the back seat because the store policy is always like five days until you can return something. Um, I have a contract on my lap, literally a client contract on my lap because I'm trained as a lawyer and a mediator with a pen that's jabbing me in the vagina because um, I'm trying to mark up this contract at every red traffic light on my way to pick up my older son, Zach, who was turning three at the time from his transition toddler program that in America, because we love and value working parents, lasts about 10 minutes. And so even though I was going to be late to pick up Zach, I had to stop and compose myself. So I pull over. And as I'm sobbing over this, I'm surprised you didn't get Blueberries text. I'm thinking to myself, I used to be able to manage employee teams And I can't even manage a grocery list because I'm so overwhelmed. And more importantly, how did I become the default, or as I like to say in the book, the she-fault for every single household and domestic task for my family? That's where I was that day when I was standing on the side of the road. And I realized that um, this was not the career of family life combo I thought I was going to have, and it shouldn't have happened to me. Because as you mentioned, I'm the product of a single mother. And I vowed from an early age when I helped her manage her addiction notices and put piles of late utility bills um, together for my mother at eight years old, that I would have an equal partner in life. And I married that equal partner. I'm a lawyer trained to use my voice. I'm a mediator trained in how to communicate. And I figured that if this was happening to me, it was probably happening to a I figured if this was happening to me, it was probably happening to a lot of other women. And so I went on a quest to find out if that was true. And that's how I got to my interviews.
0: Can we talk a little bit about the stats? Because I love how research-laden this book is. And I'm excited to also obviously get into the actual system and how it works. But first, let's just uh, have a sobering wake-up call in terms of what women are doing and not getting the credit for in our domestic lives.
1: It's a great question. Besides my 500 um, plus interviews, um, I read every seminar book and article on the gender division of labor, which is also called The Second Shift, Mental Load, Emotional Labor, Invisible Work. So I think you'd be very, um, your listeners can be very confident in the research of the book. In addition to that, there's an eight-page bibliography of all the social science that has gone into studying the gender division of labor. And what we find, what we find is that women still do two-thirds of what it takes to run a home and family, regardless of whether they work outside the home. In addition, I talk about the cost to women from doing all of this second shift emotional labor and visible work, cost to marital satisfaction, which decreases, 25% of divorces end over resentment over invisible work. That came out of a survey recently. A cost to our careers, 43 percent of women with kids take a career detour. In addition, our identity, what is this doing to our identity? All over this country, women were saying to me things, like I have three Ivy League degrees." but I can't even find what I want to do next with my life besides being a parent, because I'm physics, I'm an object at rest, an object in motion, stay in motion. And I'm an object at rest. These are the costs, the real life costs. And I'm not even talking about our wellness. Women who shoulder this burden report higher anxiety disorders, autoimmune disorders, insomnia. It is, can be dire if we just sit and talk about the consequences and the problem. But that's why in Fair Play, most of the book is a solution a solution to this hundred-year-old problem that we've been talking about in circles for um, to our friends and to women since Virginia Woolf started in 1920 talking about why a woman can be Shakespeare because she had too many obligations
0: in the home and more. Mm-hmm. And I think as we become more aware of the invisible labor and My husband, because of probably the podcast in large part, has, you know, he's heard a lot of this from me over the years. Great. I love your podcast. Thank you. He has been really helpful. But the funny thing is, Eve, last year, okay, this was like a, I'm going to take a moment. It's it's a bragging moment. I'm going to just take it. Please. We sold a TV show together inspired by our family life and relationship and the podcast. And we sold it to ABC. And the the premise or one of the main premises was like, how does a modern couple actually do this? Like, how do you both pitch in in the co-parenting? And in the pilot, a lot of things go awry <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, he's supposed to be in charge of something and it does, it fell through or, you know, he misses on some of it. And I, when I was reading this book, I was like, oh my God, I'm so glad we sold the show last year because last year it didn't feel like there was a solution. It felt like in modern parenting, uh-huh. we both try to step up and do as much as we can, but there's a lot of improvisation and a lot of things fall through. And in a television show, the or what makes a sitcom different from a movie is that a character doesn't change. Like every week it's like the same character, right? And so that premise worked for us because every week there's going to be more problems (laughs) trying to do these things together. You have to have situations that's true. But the thing is now you have given me faith that it is possible to change that through this system you have created, things won't fall through the cracks. And you basically made our show, um, you know, not obsolete. That's for other reasons because <laughs> the president of ABC left for Netflix. But <laughs> my point being, <laughs> you have solved a huge. Oh, your next show,
1: your next, the next show. Living the system exactly. Yes. Your intentional life <laughs> exactly. You know, you're the tonic moms intentional life, and you're changing so many lives with your podcast. Oh, I love what you. you're doing. And I was so excited that I got to be here to talk about these issues, because if your listeners are anything like me, which they are, um, I'm hoping that they'll be receptive to these messages.
0: Yes. Well, so th- thank you, because you have now, through this system, given me hope that it doesn't have to be this crazy scramble all the time. And Correct. We're going to get into it. I know I keep teasing it out, but I do want to quickly go back to the intention you said at the beginning of this conversation because a lot of the lies about time and about the time not being equal, you discuss in the book as being this toxic messaging. And a yes. man, do I have it, Eve. Like, ugh. Like the bitchy voice in my head will say, my husband's time is worth worth so much more money than mine, yeah. which which it is absolutely. like I can't argue with that like okay, yes, of course, absolutely, that is right, and so so many women
1: were to. okay i thank you for saying that for opening that up because back to what I was just saying to you before about the glue sticks or me crying over blueberries, right, but the small details are causing big problems. What I realized after going out and why this took me seven years, besides my eight-page bibliography, it was understanding what is the core problem. I'm a mediator. I'm taught the presenting problem is never the real problem. So the presenting problem is this fight, the chaos, the fights over the blueberries, things dropping to the cracks. But the real problem was that men, women in society do not value women's time the same as men's. Men's time is viewed as diamonds. Finite, and women's time is viewed as infinite, like sounds. The worst purveyors of the toxic time messages were actually women, mm-hmm. and they were women all over saying, "Of course, I pick up the extra slack because my husband makes more money than me," and that is a fact. But the problem with that argument is that we're not even paid the same for the same job. So as we just keep leaning into men time is money and men's time being more valuable because they take more, we're gonna be stuck in the cycle for the next hundred years. Next messaging. I'm wired differently. My husband's better at focusing on one task at a time. I'm a better multitasker. That is one hundred percent not true. I went to the top neuroscientists in this country. There's no science showing that women are better multitaskers that we're wired differently. One actually said to me, one amazing neuroscientist said to me off the record, he said, you can use this for your podcast and your tour, but um, you know, not for the talk. So I end up with some other neuroscientists who say this in a much nicer, nicer, more scientific way. But he said to me, Imagine, Eve, we can convince half the population that they're better at wiping noses and doing dishes. How great for the other half the population. This is a man neuroscientist talking. And what was so special and impactful for me hearing that, because I had my own I'm a better multitasker, toxic time messages. I had to go out in the field to really ask these questions. The beauty of that statement is that I picked up the Forbes magazine last month, hundred most innovative CEOs. Guess what ninety nine of them have in common? They're men. They all have penises (laughs) and testicles. So this toxic time messaging Great, as just like the neuroscientist said, great for the other half of the population. Other things I heard from women were, in the time it takes me to teach my husband how to do this or train my husband, they love to talk, train like their husbands are dogs. Mm-hmm. In the time it takes me to train my husband how to do this, I might as well do it myself. So I went to the top behavioral economists in the country and said, does this make sense? And they said, absolutely not. If you keep doing it yourself, that's a short-term fix to a long-term problem. Mm-hmm. So this kept happening. And then finally, finally, my favorite were the two shipping supervisors, the two pediatricians, the two colorectal surgeons, who said to me, yeah, we both have the same job. But my husband's super overwhelmed and busy, and I can find the time. And what I like to say is unless we're Albert Einstein and we know how to mess with the space-time continuum, there's no way to find time. There's just different ways and expectations over how women use their time and our choices than how men use their time. And when men don't come home to wipe the asses and do the dishes and they're working late, we understand that because time is money. But then what ends up happening is we end up in a cycle where 99 men are on the Forbes list and women are the ones holding two thirds of more of what it takes to run a home and family. And regardless of the money, I'm just asking women, let's step into our full power, regardless of whether we end up as CEOs or just bakers of amazing rhubarb pies, like one of my beta testers, that's what she wanted to do with her spare time. Let's lean into our lives. We all have permission to be interested in our own lives. And so that's where their play takes you. But it starts with a core understanding that all time is created equal. Because what if, what if we actually value an hour holding our children's hand in the pediatrician's office? What if society values that as much as an hour in the boardroom? Then men will want to do it because there's value to it. And then fairness happens. And that's what I'm seeing. That's what I'm seeing with my, my beta testers.
0: So one of the things that, Adam, especially appreciated about your fair play system, because we'll go into it now a little bit, is that you, you call it the CPE, conceive, plan, execute. That basically whatever task you're taking on or agreeing to, that you are the one who's in charge of it from the conception through the planning and then all the way the follow through with the execution of it. And he loved that because his number one, compl- okay. <laughs> his number one complaint uh, was always, "I don't want to be your sous chef." Like whenever, because yeah. <laughs> yes. he does, yeah. he hates that more than anything, and that's where the bickering would arise.
1: And all
0: yes. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's empowering it. it. when they can take it from start to finish. Whereas I will admit, when I read that, I was like, "Oh God!" Now I have like now I what I'm going to have to pin it on myself when it falls through the
1: right. cracks yeah. because
0: I'm the one who is fully responsible for getting the vaccine form that first day of kindergarten. Like, if I because it was one yeah. person who's in charge of it from start to finish, and I think the accountability. um, it will be liberating uh and also you know there's a there is a moment of like oh boy okay i i can't just like stew in my resentment like if i if if he's in charge of trash this week that means he's taking it out every day um yep. if i'm in charge of the,
1: the bag back in yeah, yeah the bag
0: back in always would just really pissed me off. <laughs> he never puts the bag back in, but now he'll have to, back in. but now you all will have, to, have, have to, to as well. And and I think that that accountability is exciting. So tell our listeners about your, the 100 cards, how you, you know, figured that out. And I guess like a basic way of playing, because obviously our listeners will read your book to learn, you know, the ins and outs of it, but what are what are you sharing uh, with potential readers?
1: Okay, first of all, I love that that was what Adam liked because my husband is transformed from the blueberries day. And he says I should make bumper stickers for men's cards that just say, your CPE means so much to me. So let's (laughs) just talk. So we'll back up for a second and we'll talk a little bit about CPE, but how it got there. It got there because back what I was saying to you about. All the books and seminal articles up until this point, some with very unhelpful solutions like moving to a foreign country where your husband (laughs) knows the language, but you don't. So he has to fill out the school forms. I'd love to live on the beaches of Ibiza, so it's a great speaker, but not practical. But some of the more practical solutions said make a list. Okay. I'm an organizational management specialist, so I'm great at making lists. I ended up with the best list, as you'll read in the book, um, that was... Uh, ended up being crowdsourced from women, some women I didn't even know, a 98-tab Excel spreadsheet, if any of your listeners have worked with Excel, with about 20 sub-items, over a 1,000 items of invisible work. I titled my spreadsheet, my giant list, the shit I do spreadsheet, the shit I do. Now, it became so powerful for women to vent about these issues that I was getting um, spreadsheet feedback from women I didn't even know. So I guess it was going sort of viral amongst communities of women. Someone was forwarding to a friend or a friend and a woman I didn't know, you know, would, would they text me or email me, you forgot sunscreen. And I'd say, Nope, you just don't know how to use Excel. You got to push the right button forward on tap 72 under medical and healthy living. Item number 11 says applying sunscreen. Um, other one would be like, you forgot allowance. And I'd say, Nope, it's under tap 55. Family values and traditions, because why else are you giving allowance unless you're teaching a fa- family tradition or value? It was that granular. The should I do spreadsheet was that granular. I was so proud of it. Mm. I sent it off to Seth with some of my great um, communication uh, mediation tools that I have for my work. Uh, with just one, no context, one one subject line <laughs> that says, can't wait to discuss. Uh. Giant 19,000 megabyte spreadsheet goes out to the world to Seth, can't wait to discuss. I wait for his response. It finally pops up in my inbox, and it's the one monkey emoji that has its eyes covered. I don't even get the courtesy of the three monkey trio, just that sad, lonely, eye-covered, see-no-evil monkey. And I think in that moment, when I got that, that response, I realized that lists alone don't work. Lists alone don't work. And so if you're going to treat the fair play cards, which are derived out of that list, the 100 task cards that requ- that you are basically everything required to run a home and family, 60 cards if you don't have kids, 40 additional ones with kids, you realize that if you just throw them at each other like a list, we're going to be doing the same things we've been doing for the past 100 years. Lists alone don't work, but systems do. And that's my day job. I create systems for highly complex families, for their businesses and their foundations. And when I brought some of that learning, organizational management learning, which you, you just alluded to, which Adam understood maybe from his workplace, mm-hmm. this idea of conception to planning to execution, that 50-50 is the wrong equation because it's scorekeeping. But when you can focus on fairness through ownership, everything changes. It's a hard change. Like you said, you're going to have to change some bad habits. I'm telling you to not eat sugar. But the beauty of that is you feel so good afterwards, right? You feel so good when you make those habit changes. So example, because I don't want to talk so esoterically, everything you need to know about CPE, you can learn from what I say, mustard. Because as we were just saying, somebody in the household has to know that your second son, Johnny, only likes French's yellow mustard with his protein. And that's how he eats it. That's what I call conception. Then somebody has to notice that it's running low and put it on the list with the other groceries you need for the week. French's yellow mustard. That's the planning stage. And then someone has to get their butt to the store to buy the mustard. Now, that's what I call execution. And that in my research is where men step in. And that's the biggest problem. Because men bring home spicy Dijon. They bring the nasty kind of mustard with the seeds in it. They bring that home. And then men all over the country are saying things to me like, I don't want to be my wife's sous chef anymore. I don't want her telling me what to do because when she does, I always do it wrong.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And women are saying to me, Eve, wait a second. You want me to trust him with the estate planning card with my living will when he can't even bring home the right type of mustard? No way. (laughs) I'll keep doing it. And that's the trust spiral that we fall down that trust hole, we just dump ourselves down that trust hole, and then what ends up happening is men leave out right of the home because they can't do anything right, and women take on more. It just keeps going down and down and down. But, like you said before, when someone holds an Adam notice, when someone holds the full ownership of the full mustard situation, the full grocery card for that week, they know what mustard to buy because they've already conceived and planned of it
0: this that's, a- it. that's that's it that you're also giving me this aha moment because I haven't and you do say this in the book like what kind of partner do you have and when I'm listening to you talk about this I'm like it's so obvious like I have he's a showrunner at work and he's a he's a showrunner at home and that's like oh we're amazing. both we're it both yeah. we're both showrunners though and I we would butt heads and I really wanted to be the one in charge and so yep. that is where we would go off kilter because yep. it doesn't work with his personality and it, and it didn't work for me to be his sous chef. But this is a way that we can both, you be know, in charge. be in charge Absolutely. and, and of the cart, have autonomy. Here. I also think it's so interesting with the monkey emoji of covering his eyes that he was – saying, like, let's keep the invisible labor invisible. I don't want to see this.
1: See no evil. But this is the thing. So it was see no evil in my household. But in other households, it was worse. It was worse. I had women texting me WTF. I had no idea I was doing all of this. Mm. And I had another woman actually say to me, at this rate, I'm not staying in my marriage. So what I realized is that should I do spreadsheet uh, unleashed a shitstorm. And it's a do-no-harm. There is a place where maybe ignorance is bliss, right, for both parties. What are we really doing when we raise cultural expectations or consciousness? It feels uncomfortable. And so I did not want to do that without a solution. I did not want to publish the should-I-do spreadsheet book or mm-hmm. even have it in the world because it was a do-no-harm. And so that's why it had to become a system. It can't just be a card game. Because we have some work to do on ourselves. Women, we have work to do on ourselves before we can see and understand how to play. Otherwise, it just devolves into a list where we want to be in charge. And we're sending our partners to the store for the mustard. And then we're berating them when they come home with Spicy Dijon. And it takes trust and it takes values. And so I'm asking people to sit down to have values conversations over garbage. Things that we never do. Because what I found is that when we go straight to just throwing cards at each other, it doesn't work. But what does work is when you sit down together to have a first conversation and say, I care about what you value. I know you care about what I value. Let's talk about what we value in our home. Let's talk about how we can make things more efficient. And when you can do that and build your deck together, the first step in the Fair Play game is sitting down to build your deck together to decide what you both value together. And what that eliminates for a lot of men was a a huge thing men were saying to me because a lot of what we do is invisible is, oh, I don't want to play this game because my wife, my partner, she does so much unnecessary stuff. Mm -hmm. The beauty of sitting down to decide what you both value together is that becomes a cop-out that can never be used against you again. Because most of the cards are not unnecessary. At least 30 of them are not. 30 of them I call the daily grinds. You don't do those cards like feeding your children. You end up in child protective services. (laughs) So at least we know you have 30 cards you have to play with. Okay, so. it starts with values.
0: Let me throw one at you, Eve, though. Let's be going because of what you're saying about someone can't say that that's, you know, she's doing this thing that she doesn't need to be doing anymore. Um, Like, let's say one of, the cards is a mother she stresses herself out volunteering as class mom what could the correct so that takes a lot of time and effort i imagine i have not volunteered myself yeah but there are a lot of class moms it's out there card. so yes. that's that is, a card yes. and what if the, that is the a card. what if the partner says you don't need to be the class mom why are you doing this to yourself
1: yes that is exactly what i want people to be saying. I want people to be having those conversations because the beauty of the system is that my fair doesn't look like your fair. And what it has you do is it has you build a deck that you both value. And if there are cards that you singularly value, that are not necessary for your deck, then you hold them. You hold those cards. I value in school service. My partner, Seth, doesn't value in school service. So he always takes the volunteer jobs that are the easiest ones to sort of get out of, and that's fine. I value it, so that's a card that I'm going to hold. But again, there are so many cards that you're both going to value because you married each other. The pro marriage book: most of your values are going to align, and you are going to agree on those. So you start with those cards first, Mm -hmm. because if you get efficiency and you start learning. So, for example, homework. You can have different values and say I may not value homework as much as you do, but most people will end up where I say in the book at a reasonable person standard. So what happens, for example, when you have different values? So let's just explore that for a moment. So let's explore it for Seth and me. We we had different values over garbage. And what I mean by that is before we had the values conversation, and it was just, we were just starting out and making this ownership without the values conversations, I said to my husband, you're going to be in charge of the garbage card, getting the bin liner in, getting it out on the street before garbage day. And he said, fine. But what I was doing is I was stalking him over garbage. I would stare at the garbage bin, see how full it was. I would open the door. I don't know if you have a door under your um, sink, but that's where we keep our garbage bags. And so I would put, I would open the door under the sink. So he would literally trip over it because he's very tall. So he didn't know that it was open. And like just hit his like, legs into the door under. And I like, oops, well, it's open. Might as well get the garbage liner since it's open.
0: And you know, watch see what he would do. I would just stack Amazon boxes <laughs> against the back door, and he'd get so mad because he'd be like, "I can't open the door to go to the back office." And I'd be like, <laughs> "Yeah, wow." Oh wow, there's
1: boxes that I need to move them, right? So done. using my beautiful uh, communication tools for my my day job as a mediator, um, I would do things like keep the uh, just keep the door open of a, you know under <laughs> under sink. Uh, storage and see what would happen. Okay, so he noticed something bad that's happening here. And he said, I'm not going to lean into this fair play system if this you're stalking me over garbage. And so I said to myself, how did I forget, right, the most crucial step that I've been using for 10 years in my mediation practice? I have a value-based mediation practice, and I wasn't bringing that into fair play. So when I brought it in with my beta testers and said, we're going to add a step to the game. Above your deck, you're going to have values conversations with things you've never had values conversations over. Everything sounds changed. The system clipped into place. Things were changing for people all over the country. And the reason why is because I sat down to say to Seth, I want to explain to you why I'm triggered by garbage. I grew up in a single mom household, as you know. You know my mom very well. She didn't want to invest in a garbage can. I get it. She was completely overwhelmed. But what happened was we would have one plastic bag that would sit on a knob and it would just spill over onto the floor and an Avenue C and 14th street in the lower east side of Manhattan in the eighties. It wasn't that cleanable place anywhere. Anyway, when the lights went off and the garbage was on the floor, if I went in, I like to say I was a dehydrated child because I tried to go into the kitchen to get water and turn on the lights. We'd have hundreds of water bugs and cockroaches scatter. Mm-hmm. It's just what was happening. And so when I said this, I'm super triggered. By garbage, because this is about my childhood. And then he said to me, well, I was in a fraternity, and Domino's pizza box is basically my pillow. So I don't really care about garbage just the same way you do. Or are we stuck? And that's when you bring in. You bring has been working for the tort system, for our legal system, for our medical system for 100 years. What's reasonable? What's a minimum standard of care we both can agree on? And that makes you have really important conversations about what's reasonable for our household. What do we value for our children? Can we expect the garbage to go out once a day? If it does, when? And so when we, first, we both agree that garbage, it's reasonable for it to go out once a day, Beth said, I'll hold this card. I'll even put garbage in my calendar as a work appointment at 7 o'clock or whenever I get home, that it'll go out every day. As long as you never mention the word garbage again. <laughs> <laughs> and since then, I've been going out at 7 o'clock every day. And besides that, it gives me the autonomy of mind, right? It frees me up a little bit more. So I'm thinking about less cards, less mental load of the house. And it allows me to respect my husband because when it does go out, I do trust him now with my living will. Because I see he is super competent at things like garbage. It just took us having values conversations over things like garbage. We don't do that in America or the rest of the world. But when we do, it can be very transformative. And so that's what I'm asking people to do. The first step is to sit down with each card and you discuss why you value it and what is your minimum standard of care. How do you want to treat that card for your home?
0: When you have these cards, you also share, you have a unicorn space card.
1: Yes, that's my joker. Everybody has to have it in the system.
0: Yeah, and it's, can we talk about that for a second? I know we're running out of time. I'm sure you're enjoying your yes. view yes. from the parking lot. <laughs> but I... Well, the saved, so I'm watching some good work happen. Oh, here. good. <laughs> so, because this is really important, it's not just having each family member agree on a task they will complete, start to finish, but also it's about creating the space and time to do the things that make you you with yes. hopefully some of that time you'll gain back.
1: Yes, from efficiency, from us both doing more of less. And why, I, so I talk about the unicorn space card. I wish this could have just been a card game, but it couldn't It had to be a book because of all the findings I had on a long seven-year journey. And part of the journey was telling women and men, you have a right to be interested in your own life that there is more than just being a parent and a partner and a worker. And some people are lucky if they get to have unicorn spaces, their careers, then I'll say, don't burn out. Make sure you have adult friendships and self-care too. Mm -hmm. But most people, their work is not their unicorn space. And so looking back to say, who was I before I was a parent? And that person matters, not just to my partnership, but to my longevity. It became a very interesting conversation because some women were saying to me, I don't even know what that is anymore. And so I'm saying it's okay because I get it. Because when I was sobbing on the side of the road over blueberries, I had no fucking idea what my unicorn space was. And actually I found it super condescending to women Mm -hmm. that we hear all this and passion and purpose crap Mm -hmm. without the context of a domestic rebalance or more efficiency. Because when I was holding all the cards, when I had a pen stabbing me in the vagina trying to get a client contract out, I was definitely not discovering what my unicorn space was. But when we can free up and have some of these conversations and have this, when we have someone in the house, again, this was not, my mother can recognize all these cards and ask for help from her, her sister, from her broader community. But we have, we're lucky if we have a partner in the house to share this with. And so it requires us both to sit down with some domestic rebalance and efficiency to say, we want to pursue our interesting life, what makes us interested. Because we have a right to an interesting life. We have a right to be interested in our own lives. And one very important thing that this psychologist, Tilda Klein, said to me, that's in the book, that's in Fair Play, she says, don't make your unicorn space, your beautiful, magical space for you, the perfection of your kids.
0: So important.
1: Because that was happening a lot in her practice.
0: Oh, man. That's,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. It, but, no, I mean, but it was a really power, powerful thing to hear. And I wanted to put that in there because she said that's what she sees in her practice. When there's a merger of your identity with your children, it is not helpful, not helpful for your marriage or your children or yourself. Nope. And so understanding that unicorn space is a card to be played for you. So good. Ugh. Where we get, we bad back the guilt and shame that I call domestic encroachment, those clouds of guilt and shame. Especially for stay at home moms who maybe already feel, say to me, you know, I'm already not being paid for my contributions. How can I take time for me? I say, you have to take time for you. Mm-hmm. You have to. Everything is on the line for that. And you're going to be rewarded in spades when you do.
0: So, Eve, in closing, you know, <laughs> your previous. Job, I'm, I'm assuming you're still doing this, where, where you help families figure out charitable ways to positively impact the world. Yeah. You, yeah. So you work with yeah. a lot of some billionaires. And I am personally yeah. obsessed yeah. with HBO's show, Succession. So, you know, just— Thank be- God for that show. Just
1: Thank be- God for that show, because it finally gets people to understand what I do <laughs> what my clients are.
0: So, okay, this is just between you and me, Eve. Like, forget the thousands of listeners out there. Forget yes, that you've yes. got, like, a career and, you know, a book on the bestsellers list. I just really need you to answer this honestly. How do West Coast billionaires differ from East Coast billionaires? Oh, my God. I love
1: it. Um, well, there's a lot less West Coast billionaires. I'll tell you that. Um Old money uh, lasts longer, so I will say there's a lot more East Coast billionaires than West Coast, except for, uh, in Silicon Valley, they're, they're, and, and up in Seattle, there there are some. Um, but they all have the same problem that we all do, and that's we're not taught to communicate. We never take a communication class in high school, or even college, or even law school to be honest. Luckily, I got one, and I had a great professor, and I started on this role of mediation and communication. But none of us are talking to to communicate. And so whether it's a West Coast billionaire or an East Coast billionaire, my clients who I walk into their offices and I first meet them tell me they don't want to communicate with their family about their foundation or their business. And yet every time their son speaks, my client would storm out of the room. So what I'd like to say to whether it's my clients or to women and men out there is you are already communicating. And if we can look at Fair Play as a communication shift, not a start, because I promise you, you are already communicating whether it's passively aggressively or like one woman told me she dumps wet clothes in her husband's pillow and he oh. forgets to put them in the dryer or another woman who says she started an Instagram account called the shit. My husband doesn't pick up <gasps> to show publicly shame him for everything that's on the floor. We are already communicating. So I'll end on that, that whether you're an HBO success billionaire or just, you we know, are average families. We, we, it's imperative. We, communication shift, not start, shift in how we talk about our home life, because it's everything. It's our most important organization. And it's time that we start treating it like that.
0: Eve, well done. And thank you so much for playing with us today.
1: Oh my gosh. Thank you. I love your podcast. I'll be listening to hopefully my episode and lots of others. I love how you frame all these issues and thank you for your time.
0: Listeners, you can find Fair Play wherever books are sold, and you can also check out more of Eve's work at everodsky.com. Special thanks to our atomic mom's angel, Jennifer Waldberger, for this introduction with Eve. Olivia Hasty is our production assistant. Owen O'Neill is our sound engineer. And our original theme music is by Jeremy Turner. Also, everyone, if you've been holding out on buying a t-shirt or limited edition art print... From our collaboration with artist Madeline Donahue. Do it now. Supplies are limited and we're closing up shops soon. So get on it, help support the podcast, share pictures of it. We love to share it on social media as well. <sighs> Until next week, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness, rock on. Atomic Moms.